And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to a very special joint episode between the 11 personnel podcast covering the Los Angeles Rams and the one of these years podcast covering all things Detroit Lions. I am Jordan Rodrigue. I cover the Los Angeles Rams for The Athletic. I am the host of the 11 Personnel Podcast. I have with me today, Nick Baumgartner and Colton Pouncey, who do a great job covering all things Lions, covering all things NFL Draft. Um, guys, how we oh, doing? Jordan. Doing good. <laughs> Colton, like how we're here. They actually here, did right? it. <laughs> I feel like we've been willing this to existence for like the last month or so. And like, it feels yeah. weird that we're actually here, but yeah, we are. <laughs> crazy. It's, it's crazy. Can I just say, I'm so excited. I was, I've been saying this over and over again. And, um, as, as you guys know, having, we've all been in person together, you know, at various league events, things like that. Um, I'm just a very excited person generally. <laughs> and I am so freaking stoked for this week because it's not just that it's the truest soap opera moment that could possibly occur. It's, the league just kept adding elements to it that were fascinating. And it, it reminds me of that meme where it's like the guy is cooking and then he slowly adds something to the pot. And it's like, it's already a, a flaming stove. And then you're adding slowly and you're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then whoosh, everything just erupts into flames. That's what this week feels like to me. I'm so excited to see the energy. I love reading the Detroit Lions beats. You guys, to me, are one of the best beats in the entire NFL um, obviously Colton, I read everything you write, Nick, I've long read everything you write, but the beat collectively, I mean, I'm so excited to be hosted in Detroit. Um, I've dug up my winter coat and <laughs> I just cannot wait for the, for the energy. And like, I love this for lions fans who were so supportive when the Rams went on that super bowl run for, of Matthew Stafford and who are always in my comment section, like very kind by the way. So thanks. <laughs> Shout out to those, those people. And I'm excited for you guys. I mean, how how is it feeling in the city right now? What's what's the vibe like? Well, do you take that? You're down there. Yeah, I mean, it's, well, first of all, I got to talk about uh, the Lions beat, loving you as well. Uh, that was like the first thing everyone mentioned. Like, yeah, we get to see Jordan this week. Let's go. Oh, that makes me <laughs> so happy. Uh, so you got oh a lot of fans God. in Allen Park for sure. I'm so excited. Oh, <laughs> Absolutely. that's awesome. Um, but in terms of the city, man, it's it's buzzing. Like. And people told me when I first joined the beat, like, wait until the Lions are good. Wait until you get to see a winning team because the city will be special. And you can't go anywhere without seeing some Lions gear, um, being at Ford Field and um, just seeing the, the the crowd and the environment and how pumped they are, how loud they get. Like, it's really one of the loudest environments I've ever been in. And, like, that's not, that's something you probably realize unless you're in the city because the Lions have not had a winning history. Um, but when they are no. good, you really see the city kind of support them and rally around them and and want to see them do well. So. Um, to have a home playoff game at Ford Field against Matthew Stafford and that dude, uh, I think it's going to be electric in the city. And um, yeah, this week should really uh, um, provide some sparks for us. It'll be fun. It was like seven, I think, or 
Yeah, I think it was seven when they made it last time. Or maybe eight. I don't know. Well, I guess it's been like 30 years. Maybe I'm a little older than that now. Anyway, I do remember <laughs> it like a little bit. And I remember as a kid, like being like I had no even then, like it was so crazy, the build up for it in Detroit, because that had been the first, you know, whatever in a long time. And this is now like it's been 30 years since a win, 30 years since a home game. It's something that like people in Detroit have been talking about uh, every year for 30 years. There's no other way to say it. Like to host a home game and to get to show everybody what they are and all that stuff. Um, yeah, I, it'll be uh, paint peelingly loud, we'll say, uh, I would think in there. Oh, I love that. Oh, you better you better yeah. write that or I'm going to steal yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just... I'm excited. I think as writers too, we're, we're also eager to feel all of this, right? To really just be there and absorb it, and to and the the, the depth, obviously, in the the storylines that permeate this entire matchup, and and what it means to each respective team. First and foremost, you know, a Rams team that was left for dead even before the season began, and um, and a Lions team that was building and building and building be, until it becomes this like massive boulder rolling down a hill right and it's, it seems inevitable and it, it it it's it's so impactful to each team on an NFL level on a city level it's so huge and impactful for Detroit and then as we know um on a personal level it is so impactful for so many of the for lack of a better phrase characters within this contest and so I wanted to get into some of our favorite storylines there. They will be unavoidable all week um, because they are very, very real as much as every answer at the podium will kind of downplay, I think, and, and make oh, yeah. it focused on football. They have to, right? This is going to be a huge moment. It's the atmosphere, like you said, is going to be so insane that you can't do anything as a player or coach, but stay wholly present in each moment and focus on the thing, you know, which is the sport you play. Um, but Nick, I wanted to start with you because what it, it's it's the he he is everything about where this team was. Right. He's everything about where this Los Angeles team currently is. Um, he is a I know a complicated but also very beloved figure in Detroit Lions history. Right. Let's talk about Matthew Stafford. Yeah, this is crazy. I, I don't know how else to say this. When he left, I was like, we were talking before we came on, Jordan. Like, I think the last time he was in the buildings when they were having their going away photo session, him and Kelly. And it was like, okay, well, that's it. He's going to play another year with the Rams. And then you're probably never going to see him again. And he's going to win the Super Bowl. And that's going to be that or whatever. Like, to have it, to have his, his return, he hasn't even been back yet to be a playoff game, the playoff game. The thing that he couldn't do when he was here is why, I mean, that's insane. It's also like, the most Stafford thing ever, because I feel like his career here was bitten in that way that he's always sort of had to overcome this stuff. Like I'll bet in an honest moment, he was probably like, of course, of course I have to go to play them in Detroit. And like, why, you know, why not? But like you said it, Jordan, he is a, he's a complicated figure here for a lot of people, but at the end of the day, he is a beloved figure. I think by most all, mm -hmm. and I, I would be very surprised if he's booed or any of that, you know, come down to it because at the end of the day, I think a lot of people remember the end of Matthew Stafford as much as they remember the beginning and the struggle because they grew up, he grew up with them and, and vice versa. But it, the end when things were really bad and he was just like, we got to fix this. Like, this is not okay. And he was starting to grow up and you could tell that was changing. My last memory really of him as a lion was like the second to last game or maybe the last game of that crap season in 2020 and Daryl Bevel was the coach and 
Bevel had Stafford talk to the team before the game about like why it's important to play on Sundays as an NFL player and be a professional and all this and what it means to be the quarterback. And someone asked him like, why did you play today? And he's like, I'm the Lions quarterback. And it was Sunday. Like that was the answer. And it's like, that's, that's, that's how he's remembered here. And um, it'll be hard. I think for a lot of people, because do you remember the Detroit Rams shirts, all that, there are still people that are bitter about a lot of stuff. But I think at the end of the day, they knew that he wanted it really bad, really, really bad. And that was undeniable. So it'll be fascinating to see this. I don't know. He's not going to say a word, like you said, Jordan, but it'll be fascinating to see how he just is in general. Fulton, I'm curious because when you come onto a beat, there's obviously any anytime anyone goes jumps onto a beat, which by the way, congrats on being the person but that is the catalyst for this positive. <laughs> <laughs> this <laughs> this positive change um, for the Lions. But um, when you come onto a beat, there's always the stories of those who came before, right? There's always the stories of the people who were before. I'm curious, Colton, when, when you did join the, the Lions beat after doing such a phenomenal job covering college football, um, what did you hear about Matthew Stafford and and what it was like before um, they, they sort of started getting on this um, inertia build? Yeah, I mean, you know, my read as an outsider was that uh, the Lions kind of failed him, uh, kind of failed to to build a team around him. Um, you have this talented quarterback. I don't think anyone can question the arm talent, the strength, you know, the throws that he can make, the tight window like throws. I don't think any of that was ever questioned during his time in Detroit. It's just, you know, maybe some decision making stuff when he was younger, but it's also like get him some help. It seems like they had maybe four or five players that could actually start for other teams at a time. And it's like. That's not enough in the NFL. It's not a star-driven league. You need a full team. You need complementary pieces. And so, you know, just, you know, I, I grew up in Chicago watching the Bears, so I'm familiar with the NFC North. So just looking at the Lions over the years, it's like, I mean, they never really built a, a solid team around him that can actually sustain winning. Like, they would have, a you know, a few tastes here and there, um, but can never build that consistent winner. So that was kind of my read when I when I would watch Stafford. And even when I was covering Michigan State in this, in this state before, um, it seemed like only a matter of time before these two sides kind of parted ways and um, maybe Stafford would go on and get that Super Bowl that he always wanted. And that's eventually what happened. But, you know, people in Detroit never stopped caring about that guy because they understand that he gave the city his all. Um, you know, you see him going to games where he's hurt, where his shoulders kind of hanging mm -hmm. off and he's still getting getting the job done and uh, leading this team to like, some comeback moments and um, just some cool things and giving it his all. I think that's the bottom line. When you, when you, when you lay it all out in the line in the city, they're going to love you for a long time. I think that's what Stafford did. I think that's such a, a great way to put it because from afar, looking at what he went, meant to Detroit and, and what he did there, um, to me, he always sort of represented. So we know that Lions fans are, are really knowledgeable about football and hyper passionate, really passionate about yeah. the sport of football. <laughs> and that's a, a statewide thing, right? College football, pro football. Absolutely, yeah. And, but I think that to that, Stafford kind of was um, an embodiment of um, the other parts of football, right? Like, I think he sort of was this peak behind a curtain because of what he, how he played the game, first of all, with, again, any arm angle, no looks, and all the things he's, he was doing sort of in silence in Detroit right. for so many years. Um, and, and just willing things to happen, but, and so the technical parts of the game were certainly represented and, and Detroit fans, I think probably were enthralled watching that because they have such a deep knowledge and a passion for the, for the sport. But then also 
he's peeling back this layer of anything beautiful. And I said this earlier today, anything beautiful that happens in football comes with a price and at a cost. And sometimes at a terrible cost, personally, sometimes at a brutal cost. It is a game of poetry and patterns and evolution and change and brutality, right? And I think that Matthew Stafford embodies all of those things, but he does it right in front of you on the field. Any game, pick a game. He probably has checked all of those boxes at a certain point, including some wild, dark chaos moment that he's now becoming known for in Los Angeles. And I think that that is something, there is something so um, just uh, all encompassing that, that permeates through if you, if you love football, if you know football, but not even if you know football, but if you love football, it's this, it's this peeling back that he was able to do during his time there that showed you um, this can be really, really cool. And this can be absolutely excruciating. And also, I think that Detroit football has gone on that ride with him. The Lions have gone on that ride with him. Certainly, the postseason 2021, the Rams went on that ride with him, right? The 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 epicness of what that season became, um, in part because of how he played in the postseason, and and certainly on in those final minutes in the Super Bowl. And I think that that he has this way of peeling back. He gives so little. He he talks. He 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 is so succinct at the podium. And, but when you get talking to him about football, you start to understand him as a person because suddenly he's talking about himself. And that's how you realize how intertwined and interconnected he is with the sport, with the game, how, what an influence he has on it for, for both cities at this point. But then certainly how he somehow, without giving anything away when he's standing up at the lectern, has become this embodiment of what the sport can give and what you can be in the sport, but also what it can take as well. Yeah, that's so well said. And everything is, I agree with everything you said, because that that's who he is. Uh, you will not find, everybody that's playing in the NFL loves the game, but you're just not going to find too many to love it more than Matthew Stafford. And there's like a thousand pieces of evidence, both, like you said, both with the Rams. I mean, look at how last year went. I thought last year was probably it for him. And then here we are again. Like it, it's there and obviously in Detroit. I mean, there's so many scenes, so many memories of, him sort of grinding through things. And yeah, they didn't work out the way that they were supposed to almost ever. But I think the thing that at the end of the day, like Colton said, and like we were just talking about, like that people remembered, remember about him was every year he came out there in August, guns blazing and said, we're going to shock everybody. And this is going to be the year we do it. And he was so fired up. And like when they would lose a game and it would be a really, you know, Oh God, here we go again. Everybody else is whatever. He, you could just see it on his face. You could see how hard it was for him. That COVID season was the one for me that really crystallized it. Like I knew he was that kind of guy before that, obviously. Like I followed him at Georgia and everything else. But when they went through COVID and he had to set out a couple of games or had to like be quarantined away from the family. And this was like, you know, a year after Kelly had had the um, brain surgery or whatever it was. But like he was really emotional during that whole thing. And he was like, I love this game. I can't not do it. Like this mm-hmm. is who I am. So very well said. And that's, I a hundred percent agree. And, and he's a very unique person. And in so many ways, like we just talked about Kelly, Kelly is uh, LA. I will say Matthew is Detroit. Matthew is a Detroit. He's a Georgia kid, but like I, I say Dan Campbell is a Texas Detroit guy. Like Matthew and Dan Campbell would have gotten along very well. And I think that's the thing that people really do gravitate toward at the end with him. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, we talk about like a a win-win trade, right? Yeah, because that's right. what this ended up being. Um, you know, the Lions have started playing more in primetime than than ever really in in many years and so the Rams practice on West Coast time obviously and so the games are on in the locker room when they come off the field on Thursdays. And so sometimes you see Matthew catching watching out of the corner of his eye in the locker room and, and sort of like muttering, you know, a little like, oh, that's what that's going to be. Or, um, one story I won't share verbatim. Uh, there was a certain fourth down call that was incredibly gutsy that Dan Campbell, uh, elected pick one of the many I know, but uh, I'm keeping it vague for, for a reason, but, um, but Matthew had a, a verbal reaction and appreciation to watching this team that he has. And, but really not just the team, but like really the city, like you said, there's, there's always been such an admiration, respect. Um, it's like, I mean, it's like all of us have been through it, right? That the, the place you live when you're out of your childhood and you've already done that first growing up, and then you go to your second growing up, right? And that place shapes you. And a lot of us in media, we bounce around to a lot of different places yeah. and those places shape us. He had one place, one place that shaped who he is as an adult, as a person, as a person in this game, so intertwined with it. And so, you know, everyone's going to say what they, you know, needs to be said or whatever. And, you know, all of the, it's, it's just another game and whatever. And, but I think if you're a pulse, you will feel something at this game. And, and when we talk about a win-win trade, Holden, I want to get to this storyline too, because this is so rich on both sides. There's also another guy, by the way, with a little something to prove, and he happens to be thriving in a place that accepted him and accepted his pace of growth in ways that no longer became sustainable for, for the Los Angeles Rams. And that's Jared Goff. Yeah. You know, it didn't always look like this. I'll, I'll tell you that <laughs> um, when he first got to Detroit and I wasn't even on the Lions beat back then, but that was the 2021 season. And I remember watching the trade go down and, you know, just as a casual NFL watcher, you're just kind of like, Oh, well, you know, he's obviously just a throw in and maybe just a bridge guy. And, you know, we'll see who they get next to, to uh, eventually replace Stafford. Um, but that's not really how the Lions viewed it. Um, you know, you're talking about a GM and Brad Holmes that drafted this guy um, with the Rams and um, kind of view, viewed him as a piece that you could win with. And you didn't always see it. You had to kind of squint to get there early on in those days when they went 313-1 and, and um, didn't have the best receiving core. And um, I think some of that reflected negatively on on golf just in the city. And, you know, you're wondering, you go from a guy like Stafford to golf and he has that rough first year and you're like, well, yeah, he's not the guy. That's kind of what the fans and kind of I think the city kind of thought during that first year. But the Lions were patient with him. And 
I think that has a lot to do with his relationship with Brad Holmes and just the, the kind of player that they knew that he was. They knew that he was a resilient guy. Um, not a lot of players could bounce back from kind of being cast aside by your former team, a team that gave you a contract extension, drafted you first overall, and all of a sudden was like, you know what, we got we to gotta get better. We got to move on. Um, not a lot of guys could bounce back from that in the way that Jared Goff has. Um, but the Lions have been patient with him. They've worked with him to kind of get the most out of him. His relationship with Ben Johnson, I think, has really kind of springboarded this, you know, second stage of his career, the second act. Um, the 2022 season really put him back on track and um, showed the city that you can win with a guy like this when everything's working around him. Support him, give him an offensive line, give him some weapons, and let him cook. I think that was sort of the idea. Um, so the Lions were going to – they were willing to give him a chance the entire time. And, I mean, now you look at this year, second year in the system, very comfortable. Um in full command and in control of this offense. Um, you look at the locker room, guys kind of rally around him. They're at his locker. They love talking to him. You see the post-game videos the Lions put out after wins, and he's always breaking down the huddle, getting the last word with the guys. Um, so that that locker room, this team, and the city has really rallied around a guy that's kind of been been beaten but has been able to bounce back up and kind of wipe the blood off and keep going. You know, that's sort of his mentality in the city, and it's been really cool to watch as as a, as a beat writer. I think there's something really beautiful about how open because Jared was wounded when he got there. Let's be frank, oh, yeah. right. Let's it just call bad. it, let's call it what it was. Right. Mm -hmm. And there, he had every reason to be, I think it's, it's something where people have a lot of trouble discussing this. I think with nuance, because it has to be either, or instead, this is a many things are true case where you use the word patience Colton, and it's a great word in this scenario because it was something that the, that Sean McVay did not have, but it was it was also in his mind a luxury he could not afford because he was in this place where anything he would sacrifice anything personally, professionally, anyone around him to get back to the Super Bowl and to win it because of what had happened um, at the hands of Bill Belichick um, two years prior. And we saw it in the hires he made. We saw it in the way he restructured his practices to make them ultra competitive, to test his offense, to, to bend and to reshape the rules of his offense in accordance with where defenses were moving in the league at that time so that he could be ready for the next time this came up, he could be ready for it. Um, and he got a trophy at the end of it. But then 2022, as I've written about a lot at The Athletic, the full weight of that personal cost was finally realized. And in part, it was because the Rams weren't just weren't still successful. The the you know, the the water at the well had run out and you're just staring at dirt on the bottom and you're looking there and you're seeing yourself reflected back in ways that you don't like and parts of yourself that you had lost along the way. And in this case, the way that this was handled with Jared on a personal level, I think on a team building and structural level, you can understand moving from being in a place where your roster is almost ready to make a run at a Super Bowl, and then you're going, you're one or two players away, including your quarterback. And so pushing to get the quarterback that kind of matches the pace and the place your roster is in, that makes so much sense. But the way that it unfolded, that was, it was wounding for, for people. And, and, and really it was, and Sean McVay wounded himself in the process, but didn't realize the toll because of what he, in, in a, a moment he created for somebody else, did not realize what 
regret would come with that later on that he's spoken openly about. So I think there's something really beautiful about the long-term view of, of what this hugely adverse catalyst was in that Jared was sort of like cannoned out of the place he was in where he had been comfortable, where, um, you know, Sean McVeigh would sort of think maybe a little too comfortable and that the development had slowed and, and Sean's pace no longer matched Jared's pace at that point. Um, and into this place where he took licks right away, he took bumps right away and basically said, F it, the worst has already happened to me. Just keep going, you know? And, and I think that that is so cool to see that match really a sp- the spirit of what the city needed from him or needed to see from him. Really. I think there's something really beautiful about that. I think there's something really powerful in that. And, and I think that's why years later you do hear Sean McVay speak truthfully and, and actually earnestly about the respect he has for how Jared came back from that. He wouldn't, I, I know not, nobody would change Sean going after Matthew Stafford and then winning a Super Bowl. And, and Matthew Stafford, by, by the way, bringing that, that, that toughness and that um, electricity to a city that wanted a star at court, you know, needed to see want really wanted to see someone take the mantle as the star quarterback of the biggest team in Los Angeles and uh, football team in Los Angeles. And I think he did that in a way that Los Angeles Rams fans will forever appreciate the, the way in which he brought this energy and electricity to this offense and, and has given it so much depth in life and in so many different ways in his collaboration with Sean McVay, but then also that toughness and tenacity that he built while being in Detroit. And then I think that Jared is the development of the team around him as well. And Colton, you, I know you can speak to this a lot, matched his pace in a way that was, he was losing in Los Angeles. It wasn't there. The pace of evolution did not match anymore, but in, in Detroit, it seemed like everybody could grow together. Yeah, absolutely. There was a maturation maturation period for Jared Goff when he got to Detroit. And I think coaches will tell you this. They think he's a more mature and a, and a better quarterback now than he was back then because he's given that he's been allowed to have that grace period, um, that year to figure things out and really kind of build himself back up. I think he needed that more than anything um, when you're kind of at a crossroads in your career. People didn't know where things were going to go for Jared Goff back then. It's like, are you just going to be a bridge guy for the rest of your career after this? Or are you going to build yourself back up and become the starting quarterback and a guy that can lead a team to a playoff and even a Super Bowl. Um, and he's done just that here in Detroit. And I think, yeah, it's it's the collaboration here, working with him, um, you know, the input of ideas that he's been able to have in this offense to a point where he can make checks at the line and um, just the, the, the freedom that he's given in this offense I think is really cool to see. I think that's a sign of just his growth overall. Um, it's not just my way or the highway type of mindset. It's a wins together, we're going to win this together. So let's all – pitch in and, and kind of give our own ideas and get this thing moving in the right direction. And so I think when you see that, you see him working the offseason with Amara St. Brown and some of his receivers, the chemistry that he's built with these guys, the work that they put in to kind of make this right. Um, I think that was that was a product of uh, just where they were back then, um, going through those tough years, the 313-1, starting 1-6 last year. Um, you can really dig deep and find yourself and, and come out in a, of a – come out of that into a better place uh, once you've gone through moments like that. I think that really shows you who you are when you're able to bounce back and have the success that they've had now. 
Um, so they'll always point back to that 2021 season. I know um, that's sort of the foundation year of not only for Jared Goff, but for Dan Campbell and this crew that um, have been around for three years now. And I think they look back fondly on those years and like, I think they understand how much of a better place they're in, but they, they won't take that for granted at all. Um, especially Jared. And I think he probably won't say it this week, but he wants this win more than anything. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure. And um, <laughs> I think it's, it's setting up for something really cool here. Yeah. And, and knowing the creativity of that staff to it, they'll, they'll give him a chance to come full circle. I just, I would oh, yeah. bet, you know, anything on that, you know, that they would get, you know, just similar to the small wrinkles of the Dan Skipper thing that we saw last week of like, okay, well, we're going to do this anyway. You know, this, this hurt us, but we're now we're still here. And like that kind of a thing, those little flourishes that this team I think has, that's what made the lions so lovable. I think to the outsiders who aren't necessarily the longtime diehard fans because they, they are fearless in expressing kind of like, we're still here, you know, we're still here and we're still moving the ball. We're still going. And, um, that's something that was, uh, also brought back into this Rams team. Like I said, a team that was left for dead, um, even before the season began, because every, you know, 44 rookies and young players on their roster. Um, I want to talk about two very different team builds. Um, one that was, uh, a, a rocket ship, right. And then uh, a deep space implosion, <laughs> right? And then now yes. is being rebuilt quickly because nothing with a Sean McVay team happens slowly, <laughs> um, but being rebuilt quickly in part because of Sean McVay returning to a lot of his core foundation points of coaching and his staff. And then also Matthew Stafford being healthy and, and li- giving this team such a lift. Um, but a lot of really talented and still developing rookies um, you know, massive draft class, the successful draft class where they're getting four contributors from contributions from seven rookies. Um, it's just, it's been astounding on the other side, wanted to talk to you guys too, about the job Brad Holmes has done. I mean, uh, Les Snead and Brad Holmes have a friendship that will stand the test of time. They worked together for years and years. And, you know, there's always this even joke when the games would be on and one of the executives or someone would walk through the room and say, oh, the fighting Brad Holmeses are on TV. You know, like it's just there's this warmth and this fondness and this sense of pride. I remember Les talking about how he was on the phone with Brad like all the time when it first started, because there's just so many things that come up. And and Brad Holmes, we all really, really liked him and liked working with him when he was here in Los Angeles. And um, it, it's been cool to see the methodical way these two teams are meeting at the right moment um, which is fascinating, but they're doing it in very different team building models. And so what can you guys speak on as to how they've built this thing over the last couple of years? It's the draft. And I know that everybody gets, you know, the Rams had the t-shirts about the picks and we don't Yeah, which was a so wink, by the way. It was of course. <laughs> yeah. But like, they people are. Forget that. A yeah. lot of people are like, oh my God, they really don't it's like whatever, that. I'm like, yeah, no, right. they always have really liked their Obviously, <laughs> yeah. right. Because the reason why they're able to uh, rebuild so quickly um, is not just Sean. They've drafted well and they evaluate after the draft. Like Jordan, we talk about this every year. They got they pick up guys every single year in the UDFA classes that can play for you. Like they are one of the best. The Rams are one of the best talent evaluating teams, organizations, whatever you want to call it, in the league at finding guys under a rock that no one else saw. And that's what Brad Holmes has done. Like mm-hmm. that's what he did from the minute he walked in here. 
and you talk about a win-win trade, like he, you know, bet everything on Jared, of course, you know, working out, but like none of that's possible if you can't trade Matthew Stafford or the extra assets to then go forward, because that's essentially what they were able to do. Get as many of these things as you can, and then just let this guy make quality decision after quality decision and not worry about anything else. No positional stuff, none of that, just the best players. And that turned into Panay Sewell, Hutchinson, Sam Laporta, on and on. And it goes to Amon Ross St. Brown and guys in the fourth, fifth, just like the Rams used to do. So it's different timelines because the Lions were in the ditch. You know, they were just, it was worse than that. They were like, they had nothing when golf got here. But at the same time, it was a similar thing because I think, frankly, this has been faster. I think they got here faster than I thought they were going to. I did not, I thought next year would be the year that we'd be talking about them maybe winning the division, not not this year. So it's been, yeah, Snead and Holmes are two draft nerds. That's all it is. And they work their asses off at that. I mean, they Brad Holmes comes up with guys that stump stain for crying out loud. And that doesn't happen very often. And he's done it a couple of times. So uh, yeah, they're very impressive, the whole staff. And I think that that's what you see in Detroit. And it's the similar thing in, in uh, Los Angeles. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yeah, I think on the surface, you know, as an outsider, you see the, the F-thumb pick shirts and things like that. And like I mentioned earlier. <laughs> I've got a mug. I've got a mug. Right. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> but like looking at what the Rams did, like you don't build this thing back up from where it was to like, I remember this this time last year, I'm keeping one eye on the playoff race for the lions and another eye on that Rams draft pick and where that's going to end up in the top 10. Right. And you don't build this thing back up from where it was from the Rams perspective without an eye for talent. And so I think Brad certainly got that from working with the Rams and that organization for such a long time. And when he got to Detroit kind of knew where things were, um, you had a roster with some expensive veterans that weren't really doing much for you. Um, you had to kind of tear down the studs and build it back up. Um, and I think he did that over the years. Like that first draft, I think everyone wanted them to draft a quarterback. Um, Fields. They didn't do that. Justin Fields was on the on the board. They didn't take him. They took a franchise cornerstone and Panay Sewell, who just got named to a second Pro Bowl in three years, might be an All-Pro this year, looks like one of the best young tackles in the NFL and a cornerstone for a long, long time. That's a decision you make knowing that you have you know, some leeway and knowing that this is, is going to take some time. You don't go for the flashy pick in the quarterback. You build through the trenches. Um, the next year, they take Aiden Hutchinson, um, another guy that is going to be a franchise cornerstone, just made his first Pro Bowl. 
And then along the way, it's it's not just the hitting on the first picks, the top 10 picks, like that's easy to do most times. Um, but along the way, Amon Ross St. Brown in the fourth round, Aline McNeil in the third round, uh, Derek Barnes in the fourth round, um, Ifatu Melfanwu, who took some time. This is his third year. He was, you know, he uh his his pick was acquired from that Stafford trade. I think he was the first draft pick um from that trade. He didn't really do much his first two years, but the Lions have this sort of view where we're gonna be patient with guys. Um, we're going to keep him on the roster, let him develop over time. Was named NFC Defensive Player of the Week a couple of weeks ago. Now he's sort of this indispensable piece on your defense that's blooming at the right time. Um, you know, Kirby Joseph, you know, James Houston, Malcolm Rodriguez, these depth pieces over the years. And this past draft where the lines were questioned so oh. much for their draft class. You know, you have the sixth pick, you trade down, passing a guy like Jalen Carter, and you draft a running back both overall. And a lot of people didn't see the vision. but but the way that this team is structured, there there are different ways to build it. You can get your quarterback and, and do what you need to do there. But um, the Lions felt they had a good quarterback. Um, and so instead, let's give Jared Goff as much weapons as we can give him. So we'll get this running back. We feel like our run game behind the strength of our offensive line, one of the best in the NFL, uh, could be better. So they moved on from DeAndre Swift. That was an unpopular move. Drafted Jameer Gibbs 12th overall. Um, what he's been able to do as a rookie has been nothing short of phenomenal, spectacular, whatever you want to call it. He's had a Pro Bowl-type year as a rookie. Um, you go out and you sign David Montgomery to a six, $6 million a year. It's a lot of money for the running back, but it's paying off now. Those two guys both had 1,000 yards from scrimmage, both had 10-plus touchdowns on one of the best offenses in football, and now they're leading the way to a playoff team. Um, and part of that draft, you that, that that trade down, you pick up 34 overall, you draft Sam Laporta, a tight end early in the second round. Not even the tight end that people wanted at the time. I think Michael Mayer was one of those guys. But Holmes has an eye where if he has his guy and he thinks that his his staff has evaluated the right player, they're not going to hesitate to take him. And now he's setting rookie tight end records. So the Lions have never apologized for the way that they're building this thing. They told us from day one they were going to build this thing from the draft. They weren't going to you know take any shortcuts to get here. Um, you know, even at midseason. They didn't trade any draft capital to acquire a Chase Young or a Monta Sweat or a guy like that because they know that they still need to build this. Where they are right now, they're in a good place. They're probably ahead of schedule. Um, but they probably still could use another draft to really get to where they want to be. Um, and so I think that's that's just Brad just kind of staying true to his word and sticking to the plan. And if they're winning in the, in, in the meantime, that's great. But we still have a vision for where we see this thing going. And, um, you know, They've gotten here this far with that, that that same plan, that same process in mind. Yeah. What, one thing that Brad picked up from collaborating with Les is how you add when you're in contention versus how you add when you're developing. And so the mm -hmm. Lions, I think, came into this year thinking, hey, we're going to be in, you know, we're going to be in, in contention. We are a good team. We are a couple pieces away from being a deadly team. Right. And so at that point, the conventional, uh, logic of position value does not as much factor into um who you're adding and where and how and how you're adding because if if they're not drafting a running back in that at that level that they did i could 100% see them adding one via trade or using the same you know package of picks to go out and add but they just are doing it in ways that sometimes I think don't look as conventional, but because when you're what, what certainly was so clear with the way the Rams went to the Super Bowl was 
when you are a a team, not just in playoff contention, when you are a Super Bowl contending team, because there are different levels to that, when you are a Super Bowl contending team, you add, you, you think about the way that you add and how you add to fill out the last parts of your roster in a very different way than if you are in the midst of a build. We saw this with, with the Rams. The Rams, Les Snead will joke about this. Sean will now, is at a point now, well, he'll, he'll even joke about it, where it's like, oh yeah, you'd lock Sean in a room during the first round so that they can't draft a skill player, you know, like when, when they need offensive linemen and defensive linemen, right? Like, <laughs> and you see how it plays out. This year, they stuck with, and sh- and like you know, Sean is is all in on Steve Avila, and like they are, but but they tr- they there was a couple of of t- discussions about coming up out of the second into the first, and and that's then it's less need saying, like you said about Brad Holmes, we have a plan, stick to the plan, stick to the process, and you come away with this player who's played every single snap as a rookie, a cornerstone left guard who is going to be a very good player for them for a very long time and kickstarted a total rebuild uh, or a total overhaul of how uh, powerful now their line is and how much more size it has. And and also, by the way, a schematic change in their run game. Now they're a, a gap first team and a man blocking mm-hmm. team versus that wide zone. There's there's a a, a, a substance behind it now instead of just sort of the finesse that we were so used to seeing from McVay teams in, in recent years. And something like that is is so um what I think people on the outside sometimes forget is how much conversation and intention goes behind those types of decisions. But it's it, it's all open conversation. And I think that's, you know, Brad Holmes and Les Snead have always done that. When they worked together in Los Angeles and then even before that, They'd always had an open dialogue with each other. There was always a communication. They all they always um, had this sort of knack and uh, love for going out and finding players what they call superpowers, right? right. The, the, yeah. <laughs> the traits that 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 maybe don't apply to every team in the league, but it does to theirs. And this deep understanding of where their team's at schematically and and in terms of the the stage of its build and how that can match or maybe doesn't match. Um, what what they're trying to do. And so you see this team, you know, Les Snead's been through a couple of these at this point. And so a couple of these builds at this point. And so now what he's done in 12 months of overhauling half, if not, you know, two thirds of this Rams roster, and there's three big contracts on it and everybody else is at the minimum. And they're, and they're in the, you know, in the, in the postseason in part because of that, trade identification, and then also development of those players, they're, to me, in this matchup, they're echoed in both teams. It's just that one of them is happening ultra fast, in part because of the veteran quarterback, in part because of the head coach, and in part because there's been a continuity for for longer, for, for a long time, to where they know all what all the steps have to be to get there, and so you can speed up the process a little bit, a little bit. And it's cool because you're seeing two really – a team that's about to maybe be understood as well-built <laughs> in the Rams yeah. and a team that we know is well-built in the lions and the shared philosophies of these GMs that once sat like shoulder to shoulder in the same office together. It's just cool. And, and, and it shows you, you can build in different ways, but it's not really that different. No, you think it's, it's different because the timeline is different. <laughs> right. 
that did the, the same thing here or the similarity, the thing that's threads through the whole thing is the confidence. And it's just sticking to your plan. Like you set a course, you set what you want to do and you don't deviate from it. You stick to it. And like, I've become used to this getting more and more into the draft world. And you talk to scouts and all these people, like when people scout players and Brad and lesser scouts, like you get your board and you stick to it. You don't sit there and listen to somebody else tell you a thousand reasons why this is wrong or whatever. You trust what you know and you trust the work that you've done. And that's what they've done across the board. Like yell at me now and thank me later. They did it with Hawkinson. They traded TJ Hawkinson, uh, who is like viewed as one of the best patch catching tight ends in the league at one and six or whatever it was, uh, because he doesn't fit their offense. He didn't fit where they wanted to go. And rather than sit there and explain it to everyone, he was like, whatever, I'm trading him and you don't have to know why deal with it. The next year they trapped San Laporta and he's like already ahead of where TJ was as a blocker. He fits exactly what they wanted. And that's just what it's been since the very beginning. Like he got mad, like didn't get mad, but Holmes will get a little surly or it's not mad, but it's like, he'll talk a little bit trash. Uh, and on the first draft call, like the second night of his first draft, um, everybody wrote, why the hell have they not drafted a receiver? What's going on? What's going on? And then they drafted St. Brown in the, what was it, Colton? Fourth round, third round, whatever it was. Fourth round. And then he's like, hey, we got a receiver. Maybe you guys can shut up now. By the way, I didn't need to take one before <laughs> this because we got one right. And look what he turns into. So, like, they're just very confident evaluators because they're passionate about it. And I think that that's the biggest thing that I see with Holmes. Similar to what, that's why it's good math with Campbell. He's passionate about coaching. He's a natural football coach. I think Brad Holmes is a natural scout. And I I think scouts make the best GMs. And, and I think that that's playing out again here. Yeah. And he knew it, it wasn't a guess. He knew too, by the way. I remember mm-hmm. talking to him that spring and uh, it was the spring after uh, Emron Roth, St. Brown was drafted. And it was like, oh yeah, they knew about him. Yeah. And it was the same process they used for Cooper Cup. It was the same process that that Brad was helped to to create with as a Rams employee. Like it's the same damn thing. And so it's it, it, that's the thing. You know, this last offseason, you the Rams moved very suddenly and forcefully away from several beloved players on this roster who had been very high contributors for them. They took on, you know, 80 million dollars in dead money and in order to just rip the scab off all at once, right? Right. And and to be set up for for 2024 to to make a run. And then they said, you know, we don't think we're going to be terrible, which everyone, the COO, like wrote a letter about it. And everyone <laughs> was like, this guy's out of his mind. And he's like, no, actually, I'm more excited about this team this year than I was about this roster last year. Last yeah. year. And and everybody's <laughs> thinking like, OK, bro. And on, on the outside. And but what I and I would ask, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? And I would get the same earnest like belief that it would work out and you try to communicate it to the outside. I'm like, they believe what they're saying. It's not mm-hmm. my plan, <laughs> but they, but they believe what they're saying. Right. They honestly, they, there's a, there's a trust and this permeates both staffs. I think coaching side and front office, there's a self knowledge of what they can do, what, what their fundamentals are, what their foundation points are as talent identifiers as teachers. Um, and if you apply that at the right time to the right people, um, something magical can happen. And that's reflective in different ways in, in both of these teams, I think. And it's super fun to watch. It'll be fun to watch Sunday. It'll oh, yeah. be fun to watch, you know, whoever it, I've already gotten comments in the, some of my stories at the athletic about 
you know, if it goes this way, I'll still root for the Lions. Or if it goes this way, I'll still root for the Rams. And like, it's just, it's, it's very, it's very wholesome. There's like good energy around this entire thing. It really is. Yeah. yeah. It's like a healthy, it's a healthy rivalry of some sort. Cause it's not really, they don't dislike each other. I don't think at all. And I don't think Jared dislikes them either. He's got a lot of friends there, obviously, like Colton mm-hmm. said, but he definitely wants to win this game. And I got to think it's the same way for Stanford. Like I can't go in there and lose this thing. Like, what are you, are you kidding me? Like he's going to the hall of fame. He wanted to roll, you know that, but like, this is, you know, like, come on. So I got to think that there's a lot more deep down there for sure. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I'm just excited to see this matchup, man. This is the one I wanted. I'm I'm typing my story in the press box. I'm like, I know you were tweeting at me two weeks ago. Welcome to Detroit. You know I what I mean? Like, <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. That could have it. backfired, <laughs> but I'm glad glad it worked out the way it did. I, I mean, yeah, but on Sunday I was I was in the press box. I'm typing my story. I'm got one eye up on the on the TV above me. I'm like, all right, what are we doing here? 49ers, what what needs to happen? Packers, right. how are they doing? It all worked out, it all fell into place. And like I, I still think Lions fans are a little you know, nervous about this matchup and, you know, it's, it's going to be a good game, I think. And oh, yeah. this is the one the NFL wanted for sure. But um, I just think for the Lions fans, like for a franchise that has not won a game playoff game in 32 years to have the opportunity to get that win against this dude um, and, and even Jared Goff going against his former franchise, I just think you couldn't drop a better story. Um, that's why I'm glad uh, we're in the media getting the document <laughs> at all. Right. It's I know. Fun. It's going to be a fun ride. I can't wait to get out there. I'm so excited to see you and to to feel that atmosphere. Um, you guys, thank you so much for joining uh, our podcasts today. This was totally, so much yeah. fun. Like I was like this like Sunday night. I think I was DMing dual episode. Yeah. Want to do a dual yeah. episode? Yeah. And I know it's a such a hectic, crazy week for all of us, but um, I appreciate that we got to do this and have this conversation. Um, Colton Pouncey covers the Lions for the Athletic. Nick Baumgartner covers some Lions and does a lot of draft stuff, has been, but has covered the Lions um, also. Um, Nick, why don't you tell everyone where they can find your book as well, if they're interested? Oh, yeah, yeah. Amazon, uh, Mountaintop, 1997. Uh, not the last Michigan National Championship team, as they just won one last night, but available now, Mountaintop, Michigan1997book.com. Uh, we've got some Los Angeles Michigan fans out there. I know that. So check us out. Got to write a new book now. Huh? I do, probably. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. But we'll see. That's TBD. I've got other things to do first. Yeah, hardball hardball's the, a harder right, but yeah, no, God, not gonna do that. God bless the state infrastructure in terms of just like you know buildings and and bars and the local economy. If if yes. uh, with with all of this happening in in quick succession here, right. so um, guys, thanks again. I'm so glad we could do this, and uh, to everyone listening, thanks for following along with both of these shows. We are so excited we got to do a dual episode today. Um, make sure you're subscribing to the athletic for either of these teams, um, either any, any of us, three writers and many, many more. Um, there's some really fun and probably chaotic and crazy days ahead for both of these teams. Um, make sure you guys are all staying caffeinated, hydrated, taking care of each other and yourselves and, uh, all of us, three of us separately (laughs) next week. We'll, we'll catch you all next week.